right. Welcome back to the latest episode of the Security Sprint. This is our weekly podcast where we go beyond the headlines and talk about security and risk news and try to bring about a different perspective as well as talk about news or events that you may have missed. We know there's a lot out there. We know you're reading and looking at a lot of different uh, material throughout the week, but we want to just try to capture some of the key ones or those that you may have missed and bring them to you. Um, this is a sprint. So the way it works is that uh, we go through two rounds of topics and then we do some quick hits at the end, which I lovingly now uh, call as Andy's quick hits because they take about an hour in and of itself <laughs> um, as we go through. But Andy is, I can say that because Andy is not here today. We are joined Thankfully, I'm you know joined by Alec Davidson, as, as you many of you will recognize his voice because he's been on this podcast before, as well as the Nerd Out podcast. Just on the 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 last Nerd Out podcast, in fact, where we talked about uh, pathways to getting into this type of business, and and Alec, you did a great job on that pod. So thank you, and thank you for being back here. How, how have you been, Alec? Hey, Dave. Thanks for having me back. I've been good. Uh, really enjoyed being on your last podcast, uh, talking about how we got into this field and uh, looking forward to talking about quick security hits today. Yeah. I don't know if as fast as Andy, but uh, I'll try. <laughs> now I, I tell you, Andy, as we all know, is quite unique and uh, it's not just because he loves the Detroit lions, but he's just mm. unique in many other ways, Alec. But as is my token phrase here, this is a sprint. So we need to get into our topics. And and Alec, usually I'd let the guests go first, but you know, I, I'm I think I'm just gonna take the lead here and, and just I'll give you your seniority. Yeah, I'll, I'll just put a little of that on there. But Alec, uh, let me start off with my first topic and and where we're gonna go with first is you know, if you hadn't seen the news, a powerful cyclone hit uh the coastlines of Bangladesh and Miramar. Uh, last year, it was a category, or I'm sorry, last uh, la over the weekend, it was a category five storm, uh, produced heavy rain, strong winds, uh, which really impacted a lot of uh, residents, and especially in the low-lying coastal areas, uh, a lot of homes were impacted. Uh, there's been obviously a huge uh, response as a result of that. Uh, the, 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 in fact, in one of the, they have a lot of situations, geopolitical situations going on in that area anyways, and the, the world's largest refugee camp was destroyed in this, and, and it really impacts a lot of other places. But as we talk a lot about when we talk about all hazards here and the environmental impacts, landslides and floods have also hit the, the areas. Um, and so there are a lot of things that to pull out from here. Mostly, you know, I, I talk about this a lot when we talk about all hazards. I've talked a lot about hurricane season, which is going to begin here in a couple of weeks at the beginning of June. Um, but what we're trying to talk to is, is, is it's not just always the cyclone or the hurricane itself. It, it's a lot of the impacts that come from it. In the, and in this particular case, storm surges up to four meters. Uh, really swamp those low-lying areas. And, and I know we're talking about Bangladesh and Myanmar, but um, but it, it can really occur in, in many of these coastal areas that, that get impacted by um, hurricanes and such. And so really want to take this time to talk about preparedness and, and really, again, highlighting a lot of those resources that we have out there, NOAA, the, uh, no, we have NOAA, we have ready.org, we have, you know, you can go to things like accuweather.com uh, or other types of 
um, weather related uh, areas and they have a lot of tools and stuff. But I, I think the important part is you need to prepare your business, but you also need to take care of yourself as individuals as well. Because you need to understand, do you as a family have the right kit? Do you have the right evacuation stuff? Do you know what you're going to prioritize if you do have to evacuate? I can speak from a personal experience in, uh, in I think it was 2014, uh, you know, was living in Jacksonville and we, they kept saying Jacksonville's never been hit by a hurricane in 50 years or whatever. Sure enough, back to back years, we got hit with hurricanes, but we did have to evacuate and and it was it's a very stressful time where you sit there and say hey what what is um what is what are we going to take what are we prioritize what are we loading up in our cars if you have pets you do you have all the food you need if you have medicines do you have the the medication on hand or do you have at least have the prescription that if you need to get it in lieu of that there's a lot of steps that you need to take when you're when you're wearing, preparing for these hospital or um uh, environmental events that that really you don't think about. So take this time now to prepare that work. Now, ironically enough, you know that was one the one hurricane that we evacuated for. We came back and we had no impacts, no nothing. Uh, power had not gone out in our area and everything was great. The next year we decided to stay. Uh, we Again, we we're gonna get hit with another hurricane and this time power was out for 10 days. And so like just when you think you can say, oh, I, I've been through these, I know what's gonna happen. You really don't. And I think it just behooves us to be prepared for that. So, Alec, that's how I wanted to start uh, talking about a weather-related event. People will know that's a, one of my key themes. But what do you think about that, Alec? No, Dave, uh, all great points, and I appreciate you sharing that uh, personal story. Uh, so just from my uh, perspective, just hearing you talk about that, it, it makes me think you're talking about the individual and then organizations should be preparing. But I also think that uh, I mean, communities should be preparing as well. So oh, yeah, based on the climate change research suggests that coastal communities are going to see increasing uh, in more frequent and more intense storms to likely lead to these more uh, uh, impacts from weather-related events, like you're saying, flooding, uh, power loss. So, but uh, even though there's increasing, there's ways that we can mitigate against some of the worst impacts. And I know some of that is uh, a financial burden, but some of that, there's just some natural like obstacles that communities can place to reduce like storm surge, for example. There's practical solutions that have been tested in area in, in some coastal communities that should be applied across the board that we can help mitigate these impacts because unfortunately it seems like we're just going to be experiencing more and more of these uh, going forward. So I really appreciate all those points. Yeah, it's a great call out with the communities part because again the the storm it doesn't everything doesn't go away. Um, at the once the storm is over, you know, the communities have to recover from this. And, and mm -hmm. a lot of you saw these from the, a lot of the tornado stuff. Who's picking up the pieces? I, I know individuals are obviously their own personal effects, but the communities are heavily involved in that. And they can be a beacon in these really tough times to pull the community together. And if you have the right preparedness plans, just so great call out there, Alec. I totally uh, skipped over that, but really great pull in on that. So, Alec, that's my first topic. Where are you going to go with your first topic? All right. Well, thanks, Dave. Well, for my topic, I wanted to uh, highlight uh, persisting, unfortunately, physical security threats to faith-based organizations. So uh, late last week, a Nevada man was charged with the federal hate crimes for his uh, role in the Irvine Taiwanese Presbyterian Church shooting. So if you all can, don't uh, recall, in May of last year, the Nevada, a Nevada man was charged with uh, 98 counts of federal hate crimes 
uh, for using weapons and explosives, and we led to the death of one person and attempted murder of 44 others. Um, unfortunately, uh, as, he, as I said, he carried it out in uh, the Irvine Taiwanese Presbyterian Church. According to court documents, again, this was a uh, it occurred during a church service, and it could have been much worse, but they were uh, able to um, stop the individual before he committed more uh, fatalities, so that is a good thing, but it only serves to remind of the ongoing threats to faith-based organizations. So, I mean, we're continuing to track. We work, as you know, with closely with the faith-based ISAO, and we regularly uh, see reports and share them with our membership of arson attacks against churches, are continuing a man recently pled guilty last month setting fire to a Jewish synagogue in Texas. Individuals in the U.S. also allegedly inspired by the Islamic State plan to attack a Shia mosque in Chicago before authorities arrested them late in late March. So bottom line, I mean, faith-based organizations are experiencing increasing threats. And um, we here at Gate 15 are just trying to make these organizations aware just to let them know that there's actions that they can take now to prevent these unfortunate situations from one either occurring or sadly if they do occur from becoming much worse so again bottom line these uh are under experiencing increasing threats and uh one thing that you can do or look out for is uh this physical security maturity model that we're working on at faith-based isal so that'll be coming out sometime this year but uh i'm sure once it's out we'll be talking about it on the gate 15 podcast and um looking forward to that. But a recent example of a faith-based organization that did something good, I thought I'd just call out, which was uh, late last month. Uh, so in Arkansas, a security team that at a church uh, had a, a suspicious, so it was, had a, saw a suspicious individual coming to their services who they didn't really know, asking uh, interesting, like uh, provoking questions to people about the security setup at the church. Uh, this happened a few times. And um, so the security staff, when they saw this man arrive again, uh, and just get, get, continue doing, continuing to ask uh, personnel security questions, uh, they got suspicious and they made the right call and called police officers to, uh, who arrived at the church to make these people who are attending services feel safer. And then the uh, in, police officers went out to this individual's car, saw he had weapons and other materials in there. They went up to him uh, and politely asked him to leave. He got physical, had went into altercation with police, and the police eventually removed him from the premises. Long story short, even though that was a long story, this is a good example of how you can mitigate uh, a potential security incident before it occurs, because they did the right thing by calling the police, not escalating the situation themselves, but just uh, making sure everything was okay. Yeah, great, great. Great call out there, Alec. And, and again, I'm I'm also looking forward to the um, the face-based ISAL's uh, updates on some of these things because I think it's a great and, and they do faith-based ISAL does do a great job of really trying to extend beyond just faith-based communities and share across the industries. Uh, so I think that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to that. But speaking to your point, you know, the, these are things that we continue to challenge with, and and it's a, it's all about. Um, what you know? What's next? And and analyzing each of the situations and making sure that you're making the appropriate adjustments to the point to the incident that you called out. Um, that, that's a great example of individuals who knew what their roles are, individuals who understood what identified suspicious activities and behaviors, and then properly alerted the authorities, who who then were able to take action. Thankfully, 
would mm-hmm. it seems like right before something more serious was going to occur. Um, this is a great example of doing that. And, and we, you know, there's a lot of things where people will say, hey, you can put the right tools and you can put the right automation in place. But really, it comes down to those identifications of this is a no cost training. You know, hey, here's here's all the great resources you can do to identify suspicious behaviors and activities. <clears throat> and and you put some slides together, or you put a presentation together. And then you just train individuals on that stuff and 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 not just identifying, but then what do you do with that information and sharing that information? So this was a great example. Hopefully it'll reinforce that across a lot of boards because as as we've said in this podcast, week after week almost, it seems like is these incidents keep occurring and and even our best intentions, we're, we're not getting there. And so we, we really need to take continue to improve and continue to use examples like that. So great, great call. Anything else on that one, Alec? Yeah, I mean, no, just uh, foot stomp what you've been saying, just we really, I mean, want all these organizations to access all these free materials. I mean, you can join FBI cell, um, but review and assess your security plans, develop your relationship with local law enforcement, like in this situation would seem to be key, conduct security walkthrough and assess all your perimeter access points, um, conduct training with not just employees, but potentially with uh, all your uh, churchgoers or whoever is in your congregation. Um, again, just these basic security measures, exercise them, implement them, update them, and then hopefully when uh, the worst happens, which it hopefully doesn't, you guys are prepared to mitigate its uh, worst effects. Yeah, great, great, great stuff. Great stuff. So that that's, that's great, Alex. So We'll go ahead and we'll wrap up round one. We'll jump into round two here. I'm gonna. This is a. This is a convert. This is a uh, story I saw actually last night as I was going through the news. Very talking about um, your dream job and the in and whether or not people who are passionate about their dream job are really um, are, are are really putting themselves into tougher situations. And let, let, let me explain. Um, so they're talking about dream jobs and and how they're becoming untenable. And it's because of toxicity, economic instability, or just total fatigue. And 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 a lot of these workers who are passionate about their jobs, and, and Alec, you and I, I know, are very passionate about our security stuff. Andy, sometimes, um, you know, <laughs> but, but as I know, we can speak for ourselves here. But you know, a lot of these workers are starting to question, is it time to quit the industry that they're in? And I think I want to talk on a couple parts because, um, you know, w- when you have a passion, you're willing to put yourself in harder conditions. And, and that means they often, you know, some people may be undervalued, they may be overworked, but they're willing to put up with those poor conditions because they love their job. You know, and, and there was a couple quotes in this story and it's, it's from CNN and or it was, it was on CNN, but it, one of the quotes was, if, if somebody is that committed to the work that they're doing and they see it as part of their core identity, it's harder to come to terms with the day-to-day toxicity of one's workplace. Um, you know, passionate workers, these people who are in their dream jobs are likely to put in more hours and do additional work. They're also willing to look past a lot of potential downfalls of their employment. Uh, that p- can be things like, compensation and benefits and stability, but could also be things like unfair practices in your organization or a supervisor or coworkers 
who are troubling to, to be around. And, and I just want to kind of stop at that part and we'll put all the links in the, the show notes as, as always. But, you know, this really speaks to putting your, your organization at a increased insider risk, insider threat, whatever you want to call it type of uh, space, because you have individuals who are will, you know, maybe exhausted. They may not be thinking about the right, um, the right things. They're doing what their management tells them without even questioning whether that may be right. All for the love of the job, and and that may be doing things that really may be overlooking or maybe violating policy or security measures or or controls that are in place to uh, reduce risk to the business, I, I think that can be really uh, a challenging area for some organizations. And they may not understand it because they may, hey, look at employee X. They're, they're a great worker. They're putting all this effort into it, but we're working them like a dog. And have we ever thought about maybe that they're not going through all the work like they need to be doing, or are we putting them in tough situations because they're trying to meet performance goals or trying to meet, uh, you know, uh, project plan timelines and all those other things. I think the other part of it too, is when you overwork and undervalue some of these people, it could create resentment sometimes in those employees. And this this one talks about people leaving the organization, which, you know, that when some, we, we all know this, when people leave the organization, they take stuff with them. Um, but, but so that you, you run a risk of proprietary information, leaving the bank, or you leaving your firm, they're leaving your company, whatever you want to call it. Um, but you have a lot of opportunity there for risk there, but you also have a lot of opportunity for people to be leaving under not great terms. And, and that could create workplace violence incidents that could create some other um, activities that, that we just need to be prepared for. So I, I wanna call this out as, you know, you have a lot of, each organization I'm sure has a lot of great employees who are working hard and doing their things. But really, I think it's important for organizations to step back and say, are we abusing that? And do we need to have the right mindset on how we work with those people? Yes, we want people to be dedicated to their job, but we always talk about that work-life balance, right? I mean, you got to have that work-life balance. But if you're having people log on late at night, early in the morning, at you know, always on the weekends or whatever it is, you know, that could be those could be troubling indicators. So something to think about from an organizational perspective. This article didn't get into a lot of that stuff, but I think as you know, as a security professional, I want to call that out as a potential risk. So that's my round two topic. What do you what do you think about that, Alec? Uh, again, Dave, uh, great points. Uh, appreciate you bringing that up because um, from what we've seen, unfortunately, workplace violence and insider threats incidents seems to be increasing uh, across the board, uh, and um, it just speaks to uh, not just think, treating everyone as an enemy or a potential enemy, but creating a holistic insider threat uh, awareness program and like having like, and it seems like this would be an HR perspective, but having them check in with their employees, wellness, making sure what the, what the organization do for you. I mean, that's just a good way of, as you're saying, mitigating any potential type of risk with an employee. Um, again, this also speaks to, you just, I mean, this is what the worst case scenario, but credential management access controls. If an employee leaves the organization, has their privileges and their uh, uh, cyber world been revoked? Has their physical access cards been taken away? Unfortunately, we've seen in uh, our uh, world time and time again, these doesn't occur after employee termination. 
So I know that's just we I would just advocate for a holistic insider threat program that takes into account all employee well-being and has good uh, policies for when an employee leaves either in a happy or a, a bad state. Yeah, good, great, great points. I really appreciate that. And and I'm sorry I misattributed this. I said CNN, it's really BBC, but we'll put that in the show notes as well. But okay, great, great uh, rounding up there. Uh, Alec, what do, what do you got for round two? All right, so round two, uh, just wanted to make sure we're hitting the all hazards uh, threat environment. So I was going to go pivot to the cybersecurity world. Uh, shout out to Jen, our cyber evangel- evangelist. Uh, so- <laughs> Um, Late last week, the FBI and CISA published a joint cybersecurity advisory in response to the active exploitation of a a critical vulnerability tracked as 2023-27350. So basically, this is in paper cut uh, print management software, and this is widely used by organizations across multiple sectors. So this occurs in certain versions of their software, and it enables an unauthenticated threat actor to execute malicious code remotely without credentials. And as it typically happens, the, the organization, the vendor released a patch in March, 2023, but according to the FBI, uh, malicious actors have been, were beginning exploiting this when a, a proof of concept code was released by researchers uh, in April. And so they've continued to see active exploitation of this, including last week when they released it and a group uh, self-identifying as the bloody with a two zeros uh, for the O's bloody ransomware gang have attempted to exploit this servers specifically against the education facilities subsectors. So as I said, again, researchers released a POC exploit for the remote code execution flaw. Microsoft also confirmed last month it was exploited by the clock and Lockbit ransomware gangs for initial access a few days later. Um, again, but as I said, this highlights the importance of regular patching and vulnerability management in your uh, holistic cybersecurity program. So uh, vulnerability management should be the core of every cybersecurity program, and it's not a one and done. It's a continuous process. You should always be following the news, following your vendors, and seeing what new zero days or vulnerabilities are out there. And again, regular patch manager, because so many times um, these patches come out, and for months and months, organizations don't do anything. And I, I realize that sometimes with these larger organizations, there's some reasons why they can't update, that there are workarounds that a lot of times these vendors publish so that even to, so you could use the workarounds. Well, again, these organizations don't. And then unfortunately, like clockwork, they fall victim. Yeah, great, great points, uh, Alec. And this is, I mean, you're, you're, um, you're kind of taking off of Andy's, uh, Andy's stuff there because I mean, he's been <laughs> hammering this week after week, just like we did on a lot of these things over and over, it is this is so important. I mean, we continue to see these type of threats and we continue to see this. And in fact, I'm going to talk to one of my quick hits on on some of these cyber ty- things as well. But uh, great call out there, Alex. So uh, really appreciate it. Anything to add further before we get into the quick hits? No, I mean, again, I'm going to continue to foot stomp it, but just patch your computers, patch Tuesday, yeah. the second uh, Tuesday of every month. I mean, just Especially your, you should, if your IT uh, person is not familiar, which I'm sure they are, they should talk to the CISO or get a C-suite buy-in, but it's just so critical because you, a lot of times it's, if it was your IT systems updating it, it's just making sure everyone is aware and you can mitigate a lot of these threats and protect, uh, prevent financial loss, uh, reputational loss, and uh, God forbid, uh, physical threats to the health and safety of people. So. Vulnerability management and patch, patching people. 
There we go. Foot stomp away, Alec. Great, great points. Uh, okay, and so that's our two rounds. So we're now getting into Andy's quick hits, but Andy's not here. So we'll start, take a stab at it. I have just one, and it's really a short one here. But uh, over the weekend, the Philadelphia Inquirer experienced the most significant disruption to its operations in 27 years due to what the newspaper called a cyber attack. So maybe this is a talking to a little bit of what you were just talking about there, Alec. Maybe this is a ransomware. We'll probably get some more information about it uh, in the coming days and weeks. But it is at a very important time because uh, there's a there's an important mayoral election or a primary election that's scheduled for Tuesday. So don't know if there's any connection to this or, or if there's anything specific to what they may have written over the last couple of uh, days or weeks, uh, but it was first detected when employees on Saturday found the newspaper's content management system was not working. So they started to work uh, and look at that. Um, and, and so uh, they were able to restore some of the print operations after it, after the event, uh, but it did prevent um, the uh, newspaper's Sunday print edition. Uh, but but they are working to get some of that stuff back up and working. Uh, it was operation. The sun the website was operational Sunday, though it was a little bit slower than normal. So again, just some of the things to be weary, weary on. Some of the things that you can get impacted on, no matter what. So just wanted to call that one quick hit out there on uh, that happened over the weekend. So that's my one quick hit, Andy. Um, Andy usually goes a lot longer. Alec, I know you got a couple things on your plate as well. No, yeah, uh, thanks for that, Dave. Uh, so quickly, uh, not gonna be as fast as Andy in my speaking, <laughs> that's possible, but so over the weekend, uh, President Biden, when giving a commencement speech at Howard University called white supremacy, the greatest terrorism threat. Now I know that's a very politically charged topic, so I'm not getting into the politics of that. Just wanted to give my quick perspective from a data analytics point of what qualify his statement, and what he means by that. So, um, Based on the uh, FBI and DHS data over like the past, since going back to like 2010, individuals espousing uh, white supremacist ideology, but also I'd say neo-Nazi ideology are have been the most responsible for the most uh, lethal attacks and deaths on US citizens compared to other terrorist ideology. So it's not just saying that this one group of people or someone who aspires is the greatest terrorism threat, but it's how these ideologies motivate these, uh, motivating uh, these people to, to conduct these attacks. So um, again, we just got to qualify that and um, not get caught in the weeds because again, a lot of these active shooters, uh, a lot of the time with the extremists, they're being motivated by uh, accelerationist goals, which is they want to sow chaos in society. They want to overthrow the government. And a lot of that is rooted in white supremacist ideology and um, neo-Nazi beliefs. But that's not saying uh, that tradition, I mean, you, I'm not going to get into the politicals of it, but based on the data, we see people who espouse this ideology are committing the most terrorist attacks. So uh, that's why um, there's that statement. Yeah, let me let me just hark on that, too, because I think that's the most important part right here is like, look, you, you people are going to read into anything here. Um, and they're gonna they're gonna tend to believe their beliefs or what that, that's fine. The data speaks for itself. I think we've seen over the last since at least 2017, the data on this this front is very clear. Um, and I think that's a fair statement. If you have umbrage with it, then um, you know you can look at the data yourself. But I, I think what we're seeing from a security standpoint is this this would be affirmation. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, quickly other two quick hits. 
Um, everyone is loving new AIs, chat GPT, but you got to look out because people are getting hit uh, with malware or um, and having their systems infected because they're searching for it on Google and other search engines. And there's a malvertising, as we call it. They're downloading a fake site that looks like it and they're getting infected. So malicious AI tools are used to deliver Redline Stealer, for example, from Trend Micro. We'll have that in the show notes. So be very careful when you're don't just click on any link, uh, hover over it, other uh, things you can do. And then lastly, uh, to Dave's love of weather, El Nino is coming back. And that could uh, last the rest of the year, according to NOAA and their Thursday assessment last week. So that could be bringing some more extreme weather events, extreme heat. So we got a fun summer ahead of us. Yeah, I, I knew I like bringing you on here, Alec, because you you tie into all the all of my key points. It, and I, I definitely agree. I think this is really one of those drivers behind what they feel about what's going to happen with the weather and what I've been trying to harp on. Um, and so I really great call out there. Um, and again, I think the other one on on fishing or the the Chappie GT, it, it's again, you know, everybody starts searching on on those sites and malware, the malvertising, as you said, is is it, it they know this. They know people are looking for this. And so they're going to create links. They're going to send you links on to your emails. They're going to they're going to have pop ups that come on and say, hey, you want the quick, easy way to do this? Um, those are suspicious areas. And if you're not tuned to thinking about that already, then then, then maybe you know, need another refresher course on security awareness and, and identifying um, phishing or malicious uh, emails or, or whatnot. So great call outs, Alex. It's been great having you on this call today. Really well, appreciate be back. What's that? Said thanks again for having me. I guess we got to end this sprint before it turns into a marathon. So <laughs> that is right. That is right. We got to be sprinting. We we are well within our time, but but I do appreciate this and great uh, great articles, uh, great great callouts today, Alec. Um, but for us, I uh, want to just make sure you're aware of all the other Gate 15 podcasts we on this podcast channel. We have the Gate 15 interview, nerd out security panel discussion, the risk round table, the cybersecurity evangelist. We've got them all. Please check them out on the Gate 15 channel podcast. Um, and we look forward to any of your feedback. You can contact us at podcast at gate15.global. Uh, we've had some great feedback on the, on the shows. Uh, so keep that coming. I really appreciate that. But Alec, thank you for joining us again. And I'm sure Andy will be back in the future, but we may push them to the side here, Alec. You know, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah. Great. Well, and with that, we will bid you all adieu.